welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. Well, in a moment, I'm going to be reading our scripture for the day, and it comes from, it will come from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. These are the last four verses of Matthew chapter 9. But before I read it, I want to kind of set up what's happening in this in this particular chapter. From the very start of this chapter all the way to the end of the few verses we're going to read, we find a few themes, and these themes are repeated over and over again. The first theme is that in that chapter, in chapter 9, we find Jesus what we'll call moving around, or we may say it differently. We find Jesus sort of living his life, moving from place to place, going from here to there, And as he goes from here to there and moves from place to place, he encounters different people along the way. And that's the second theme. The second theme that we find here is that he keeps encountering people who are hurting, people who are in some kind of need. It might be a physical need. It might be an emotional need. It might be a spiritual need. But as Jesus lives his life and moves from place to place, he's intersecting, crossing paths with people who are in need. And sometimes these people are coming to Jesus and they're looking for help. They've heard there's something different about him and they're walking toward him. They're moving toward him to find help for whatever their ailment might be. And he provides help in the form of healing their physical or emotional or spiritual sickness. That's one way he helps them. But he also helps them by sharing the good news of his life and of his kingdom with them. So the first theme theme is Jesus is living his life, moving about. The second theme is that as he moves about, he encounters people who are hurting, and he offers them help and healing through his good news and through his power. And the third theme is a rather unfortunate theme. The third theme is that throughout this chapter, chapter 9, Jesus keeps encountering people who are opposing what he's doing. They're fighting against what it is that Jesus is trying to accomplish. And here's the unfortunate part. They happen to be people who are immersed in and part of the religious establishment. So they are the people who have something to lose if their religious system falls apart. And Jesus came to do many things. One of the things he came to do was to disrupt and undo the religious system that had built up that had a lot of things to do with religion, but not a whole lot to do with who God actually was. So we find the Pharisees and the religious leaders constantly standing in front of Jesus in this single chapter, opposing him, working against him, questioning what he was doing as he sought to heal and to help hurting people. So with that, I'd like to ask you to stand for our scripture reading. As I said, it comes from Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to be reading verses 35 through 38, the final few verses of this great chapter. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. This is the word of the Lord. 
You may be seated. Maybe this is familiar to you. You might have heard this verse before, or at least parts of this verse before. But I want to just say a couple words here. And, and the thing I want to ask you is that last phrase, or that last verse that I read, I'd like you to think about that in the context of your life today. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. And what I'd like us to think about is, what relevance does that have, if any, for your life tomorrow? For your life at your job? For your life in your career? For your life in the school that you're about to re-engage with this next year? For your life in the neighborhood where you live? Does this verse have anything to do with that? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I think what Jesus is getting at, among other things, is that in his time, and again, we have to grapple with if this is still true today, but in his time, in that day, in that season of history, when he was walking the earth, I think what he's getting at is people all around you are looking for something more than what this life can offer. People all around you are looking, in other words, for God, even if they don't know that's what they're looking for. People are looking for help, not just help with the immediate moment or crisis they're in, but a bigger kind of help, a soulful help. They're looking as well for a life of substance, a life of meaning. And I would suggest to you that today in our world, these same things apply. People are searching for something more than this life can give. People are searching for God, even if they don't know that's what they're searching for. People are searching for a life of substance. They're searching for something that has depth to it and meaning to it, that when you poke at it, it can withstand whatever pressure you're applying to it. They want substance. They want something that is meaningful. They want a life that they can think about and live into that has meaning and depth and substance to it. And I would suggest to you that all around us, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, there are people who are struggling with these things, oftentimes in silence, keeping it to themselves. But they're looking for God. They're looking for substance. They're looking for forgiveness. They're looking for a life of meaning and depth and significance. And they don't know where to turn. And they don't know where uh, actually to find it. So in our language that we talk about around here, this chapter and this passage is about you and I living on mission in our everyday lives. That is doing our everyday lives or one of the themes from chapter nine, moving about, going through our lives, living in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our social settings, with a recognition of God's presence in those spaces. And a willingness on our part to be his voice, and to be his hands, and to be his feet in those spaces. So we talk about it around here as living on mission. Or one of the newer ways we're talking about it is bringing the church to people rather than waiting for people to come to church. Or we talk about it around here as noticing what God is up to in your school or in your workplace or in your neighborhood or in you 
when you are in those spaces, noticing what God is up to and following him in that space, being his missionary, we might say, in that space, representing him, displaying his character, manifesting love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and and, uh, gentleness, self-control right in the midst of the lives that we are living because of what God is doing in us. And this idea of living on mission, this idea of being present in these spaces to what God is doing is what Sean Young and Dave Holcomb and Emily Huey and others are working at to help us learn how to do this practically, how to live missionally in the spaces that we already inhabit. And if you've been around here for a little while, you know this has been on our mind, to use the language of our series, for a long, long time. Multiple years we have thought about how do we as a church think about this campus as a hub, but not as the end goal. We think about this campus as the place that we are on a regular basis moving through, but then moving out and beyond. We've talked about this in here many times as the benediction being the most important part of our Sunday gathering, because in the benediction, we are sending one another back out into the world to live out the reality of the kingdom of God and demonstrate who Jesus Christ is through our words, through our actions, through the way we are in this contentious and divided world. And this has been on our mind for a very long time, and it continues to churn in us as we look to the future. Now, I've given I don't know how many messages on this, and you've had the unfortunate experience of sitting through I don't know how many messages that I've given on this. This is not a new subject. I could go back into my computer and I could find a minimum of 15 sermons over the last five years on this topic. I was having lunch earlier this week with someone who's sort of relatively new to the church and we'd seen each other a few times and um, over the course of some stuff that happened, I thought it would be a good idea to interview him for today's service because he works in the educational world and schools upon us and I thought his insight would be helpful so we were meeting to talk about that but as the meeting unfolded in real time as I was sitting there I began to recognize that this individual and his family have embodied the very thing Matthew 9 is talking about this idea of the harvest is full who will be sent out into the harvest and this guy and his wife and his family have heard that and said, well, we'll go. And they've lived their lives on mission in whatever context they they had been. So as I was talking to him, this five-minute interview we were going to do to talk about education, as I'm sitting there listening to him, I'm going, well, maybe we'll make it eight minutes. Eh, How about 11 minutes? How about 15 minutes? Because the things that he was saying, and hear this as clear as I can say it, are far better for you to sit and listen to today than another sermon from me on this same subject. Because this is, a, this is a man and this is a family that has sought to do this in their actual lives. So I'm going to spend some time chatting with Ed Manansala. If you would welcome Ed to come up and you'll get the privilege of listening in. Round two. Round two. <laughs> so Ed, I know... Um, a lot of people probably don't know who you are, who are here. It was interesting in the first service, after the first service, uh, Kathy Jacobs, some of you know Kathy, 
came up to me and she said, I've known Ed since he was uh, a young guy. He was, and all these connections started to get made. So that's just one of the things that sometimes happens in the, in the life of a church. But why don't you take a moment just to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are, your family, uh, how you ended up at Oak Hills, how you ended up becoming a Christian, those kinds of things. Sure. Good morning, everybody. Almost good afternoon. It's great yes. to meet you formally. Um, I will introduce my family here in a moment, but I just want to share how we ended up coming to Oak Hills and deciding to be here. Uh, we were introduced to Oak Hills in Jan- roughly January 2020, so it was pre-COVID. And um, even our first service, I remember sitting not too far from the back, and Deanne and I, my wife and I, really enjoyed just the worship. We appreciate Manuel and Jordan and the worship team and just the the ministering tone um, that we experienced in a few minutes. And then during the community prayer, we recognized something fairly quickly that this was a church that was sensitive to not only the needs of the body, but the community, Um, just even how you prayed for the community. And then um, the service, the sermon I remember, happened to be around just this idea of mission. It must have been one of your 15. Well, might, I'm sure it was. But for someone who was hearing it for the first time, it was special to hear. Um, and then I remember maybe the second or third service that we went to, there was some type of Asian celebration or a gathering or a luncheon. Yeah. And we went into that venue, and it was really uh, special just to hear the people's stories and and just to have a great meal together. One other thing I want to add is that um, COVID then hit and we were, our family was actually serving a family member who had just lost her husband and she had two daughters. And right in the midst of COVID, they were going through just this traumatic experience of losing their father and husband and father. And there were, COVID was just causing moving, everything to be still. But um, there were four gentlemen, I'm hoping I'm remembering their names, but it was Jeremiah, Travis, Sean, and his son, Josiah, I believe. And they came over to the house and helped move Mm, in the midst of a time that people were not wanting to serve. And um, Oak Hills, we locked into this church really quickly that this is a special place. And so we're really thankful. And um, I didn't recognize at the time that God was setting the stage for us to be nestled in a family that, that in a time that we were gonna, I was going to be leading through great um, challenges with COVID as an educational leader to, to have a body like this. The last thing I'd say is even at the end of our first service, I remember Brian Dowd and his wife Amber and Eileen and Gary Hartley and Michael and Debbie Zachariah coming around us and welcoming us, hearing the church, the kids play, mm-hmm. you know, right after the service. There's something really special yeah. here. Good. So um, my formal role, I'm the I'm county superintendent of schools of El Dorado County. I've been serving a good number of years in an urban environment in Sacramento, and then I, it, over these last eight years, I've been serving in a county superintendent role. And what that means is I'm one of 58 county superintendents who support the 1,000 school districts in California. So I have X number of districts in El Dorado County that we provide accountability, professional development support, and we run schools and support schools. My wife, 
I'll, I'm a, I'll introduce my family this way. I would say I'll share with you their roles and their ministry area, if, they, if you will. So Deanne, who is here, and my mother-in-law, Kathy, is right here. Deanne is an OBGYN nurse practitioner, um, focuses on women healthcare, women's health care in um, the Sacramento area. My son, Josh, he's 22. Uh, he graduated from college just a couple of years ago, was doing management consulting, but um, just very recent, recent as last week, decided to shift into the education field. He's decided to teach Algebra 2 at a high-need school in a very difficult place called Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> he's in Oahu, but seriously, though, there's, there's needs. <laughs> needs. And, my, and then my daughter, who's 22, she just finished her first year of law school at Baylor and was interning here this summer with World Relief. And then we brought in a young man um, when I was a principal of a high school by the name of Sorrell, who's really a part of our family, and his wife, Nia, and da- daughter, Skylar. He's a, he's, in, um, uh, he's a software engineer. So there you have it. Great deal. Good. Um, in our lunch the other day, the word that you kept saying that caught my attention and captured my imagination right away was the word immerse. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so it seems to me from the, the bit that I heard the other day and then again in the first service that throughout your life, you and your family, you've sought to immerse yourself in your neighborhood, in your work, and wherever you are to be present in that space to what God is doing. So maybe you could describe some of those contexts and exactly how you sought to uh, immerse yourself in it and live missionally. Sure. So I'm, I, um, didn't finish fully out the first question, but it'll cross into what you're sharing in terms of missional living, uh, in terms of how I came to know the Lord um, intimately and my experiences, and I think they were formative to what you're describing now as far as just immersing wherever you are. I, um, my parents are from the Philippines, but I was born and raised here in the U.S. So born in San Diego, my father ended up joining the U.S., Navy, and he was stationed in Vallejo, and there was Mare Island Naval Base. So I grew up in Napa Valley, and then I came, um, I did my undergraduate degree at Sacramento State, and in my, they were very formative years in my undergraduate, when I was experiencing my undergraduate degree. Sean's here. I was immersed in a ministry um, called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. I know you've heard it in in various venues because Sean has spoke. But to me, it wasn't so much this idea of experiencing a campus ministry versus a community. So in my dorms, there were a group of Christians in in a time that I was really exploring um, that we experienced community. They really loved and and cared for those who were on our dorm floor. Um, That was a place where I was exploring the word and, and my relationship with God became really alive. It was almost like a, a, a template of immersion, if you mm-hmm. will, in, in my college experiences that were quite informative for my years after. As a college student in this Christian community, we began to really think and experience what it meant to love those who were immediately in your realm with those who you either lived with or lived around. Um, and then the idea of, ta- of thinking about your campus, your community, and then we even had opportunities to travel the world um, together. But in campus ministry, or at Sac State in particular, I remember just being introduced to some real 
um, influential routines that I look back on now that I, that I would say were very um, formative, meaning, and I don't know, Sean, if they still do this, but they, they called it um, in university in college, um, noon prayer. And I, I just remember hearing about we were going to get together on the balcony of the union to pray for the campus and others. But that ended up, that, that discipline created an attentiveness to what God was doing in our midst in a way that I had not experienced before. In some ways, I almost describe it as like the rocket fuel mm. <laughs> of really, um, again, being attentive to what was God, God was doing there. Even during my um, formative years, while I'd visit my parents, and I just visited my parents last night, every time I would drive in from Napa to the Sacramento, I'd get into a routine or habit of driving across the causeway, and once I would see the city, whether it was night or day, to pray for at that time, and I had no idea I was going into education, for the government, education, churches, just high need, whatever the needs were. Um, so that was kind of my formative years. Once I graduated from college, there was a gentleman, both straddling college and after, gentleman by the name of David Butler who worked for Kaiser Permanente. And I worked at Kaiser and interned there for a period of time in South Sacramento. Dave was very influential in helping me see that, you know, wherever you work, this is, good, this is a place to, to, to influence. And very much challenged me to live out my faith in that environment. Once again, like noon prayer, I found myself with other few believers that I met at Kaiser praying in the stairwells just during a, a quiet space just to pray for those who I worked with and those who we served within the hospital and it didn't matter what um, area. Um, Dave also, I shared with him, I, I was very interested in working with at-risk youth. He challenged me to move from my home off La Riviera Drive to move into Oak Park. This was right before I got married. So I moved into an urban area of Sacramento and started to plug into a local church, very diverse church, taught Bible study, coached basketball, mentored, tutored, just lived amongst the kids and the families there. Dan and I ended up getting married in 95, and we just kind of patterned immersion um, into the community. And there's other stories to sure. unfold. I'll, I'll leave it at, yeah. at that for now. Talk about, uh, uh, you talked about the teaching kids basketball. That, that as a I think a really good example of, the, of immersion. So talk about how that came about. Yeah, so um, you, know, you, you begin to recognize you know, kids that are, he was even teaching Bible study to, they, they just loved sports, at least within this area. And they weren't necessarily the kids who were the starting players at these local high schools because there was just such incredible talent where, where I was. So... Um, they, I said, invite your friends and let's, let's uh, start up a team and we'll look for some places to compete. And I didn't realize how intensive that would be. It'd take me two hours to pick up these kids, two hours to coach basketball, and two hours to take them home. And in, at the end of one practice, um, I, was, I dropped everyone off. I had one, one player left in my van. And we were driving down Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. And you could see there was you know, law enforcement and ambulance and a child had just got shot. So they had taken this child away, and it was the first time that I encountered this level of violence. And got out of the car and was standing there, and the, the player who was with me, this young man, said, he looked at me, he's like, why are you so shaken up? This just happens out here. Mm -hmm. 
And that's when I knew something was off, right? Like there is something greater that in terms of impacting communities we need to look at. I started working for Sutter Health, developing a multi-service center in the Oak Park community. And I was sharing this experience with a professor who was doing some research there. And she said to me, if you are really looking at long-term systemic change, you should consider one of two systems, either the juvenile justice system, because it impacts a lot of kids and families there, or education. And that's when I began to see the opportunity. While, yes, I was very immersed within a church community, there was a system that would have great influence on a community. And that's how I ended up bridging into education. So, and we'll talk about that in a minute in terms of your job right now and what you do. But what, what, I, what I think is important for us to hear in what Ed is saying is from early on in your journey with God, mm -hmm. there was you know, prayer and mission and formation prayer and mission were linked together. They were, they were inseparable almost. Yeah. So, and I, I, you, you, we talk about this a lot here, that in living in a suburban context, you know, we don't, it's hard to see the needs that are around us. This is one of the challenges that we're always facing when we talk about living missionally. And people have said this to me countless times. You know, in my neighborhood, I just can't see mm -hmm. needs like a young child that's been shot or a homeless person. Those needs are hidden behind smiles and fences and big houses and all the rest of it. So before we jump into all that, I want to ask you, Ed, when you think about, when I hear you talk, this value of living it out in whatever space seems like it's been in you since you started following God. How did that value get there? What, what do you attribute the installation of that value to within you? Yeah, I'll, I mean, I think of two areas in particular. I, I, again, it's just a, th uh, a theme of prayer, and it played out differently. And then I think there's just a sense of intentionality mm. to um, being aware of what the needs are around you and what God's doing in the lives of those who are needing um, some level of support. So while I'm going back to, on this theme of prayer, going back to the community setting that I was living in, and I'll even give you a personal example, too, around prayer, but going back to this Oak Park community, I was embedded in this church, and I remember, this is in the 90s now, and I remember someone saying, oh, yeah, there's like a prayer group that started in 1970-something, in and they meet at 6 in the morning, and they pray for an hour from 6 to 7 a.m. on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I was like, wow, that's pretty, <laughs> pretty committed. Yeah. But it ended up being a real beautiful gift um, because I, I became, when you're praying for a community or others, there is a different type of attentiveness, mm -hmm. I think, that I've experienced. Um, for my wife and I, even... Uh, you know, I think about our mornings together. We, we moved from the Sacramento area into El Dorado Hills into a new community. And we um, enjoy opening up our morning, be it with a cup of coffee and prayer. And we love to watch the sunrise. And we love to pray, you know, that God's, the sun would really just pour upon the community that we are a part of too. Mm -hmm. So 
I, mean, I just think that prayer is really an important part of the why for us. The other thing is I think it's been modeled. Deanne grew up. My mother-in-law's right here. I mean, in, in, we've been married for 25-plus years. My mother-in-law is just seeming incredibly open to serving others who are around her. And my parents were the same way. I just remember growing up, and there was always someone new in our house during um, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter. It's like, who are they? Oh, well, I just met them in the hospital. My mom was in her. Just met them in the hospital, and they don't have anywhere to go, and we just wanted to open it up. I mean, my mother, I just talked to her a few weeks ago, and she said, do you want some of this food? I'm like, where'd you get that, Mom? And she said, oh, we're just sharing meals to each other around just a real selflessness model has been um, a part of what we've experienced and what we see in scripture and what we experience in life. So you mentioned prayer and intentionality as two ingredients that have fostered this value in you. So you also mentioned you lived in Oak Park, now you live in El Dorado Hills, two rather different universes, I would say. So maybe give an example, uh, the chicken example from Oak Park, and then an example from El Dorado Hills of how you've tried to be attentive to your your neighborhood and that space in terms of what God's up to and how you've tried just to simply be a presence there of, of God's kingdom. Yes. So what Mike's referring to is I never knew that Kentucky fried, that God can use Kentucky fried chicken and Costco pizza so effectively, right? So... Um, we moved into an urban community in in Oak Park, and um, unfortunately, there was a lot of violence, right, that, uh, and drug dealing that we saw in the community. And just a few houses down, there was uh, a, a group of young men that we knew where they lived, and they were involved with a gang. And I was just, you know, we had just moved there, and so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? Hey, Deanne, I'm going to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken. I'm going to get a bucket of chicken, and I'm actually going to go meet these young men. And um, you could imagine me walking up, you know, to their front porch. They're there. I'm like, what is this guy doing? And I'm like, hey, I bought you guys a bucket of chicken. Just want to get to know you. And um, it was a wonderful way to break bread or break chicken, if you will. <laughs> and uh, the, the, the relationships ended up forming in a real authentic way. There's many stories underneath that. But I will say this. When we ended up getting married, it was a very diverse wedding, good number of people. These young men, I just remember saying, hey, we'll, we'll watch over the parking lot if you want to just to make sure that there's nothing going to be unsafe there. But they were very loving in the way that I think they experienced God in, that, in, in those moments. Fast forward to, you know, we move up to El Dorado Hills, a little different than where we were living. Um, and now we're in the midst of covid and, you know, it was difficult to meet people for obvious reasons. And um, I just remember one morning, and, and I think it was still a work day. I'm like, it's, did you have any idea, Deanne? It's a National Pizza Day. And I thought, what a perfect excuse to send a message out to our neighbors. And I said, hey, if we'll put layered mitigation strategies out <laughs> for COVID. But come on out if you want a piece of pizza. Had no, we had no idea everyone was going to come out, just out of the woodwork. And I think people right now are just dealing with loneliness um, at that time in particular, yeah. isolation, crazy mixed messages, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. And it ended up galvanizing a lot of beautiful interactions with, 
with um, our community members. And we're just looking forward to continuing to have our, um, you know, our gatherings with our, our community. That's great. Again, we use these phrases, living on mission, all this kind of stuff, which might sound like, boy, what is that? I can't do that. And part of the beauty of this is just these simple little, how do we be present here? How do we manifest love here? as examples of living on mission, trusting God to open doors, and see what happens. Well, Ed, you talked about your career in, in education and kind of what you do. And I want to sort of meld together a couple of the questions we talked about in the first service and sure. kind of give you some freedom to wander around in it however you want to. But just simply, you know, you're in a, you're in a significant role overseeing a lot of issues related to school districts and what's happening. You see a lot of families and students and children and parents and all that's been going on the last X number of years dealing with all sorts of social issues and then, of course, the pandemic. So from your perspective in education, just reflect a bit on what you see, what you're learning, what's becoming clearer and clearer through all these challenges in terms of uh, how children and parents are trying to navigate this. And maybe just give us a glimpse from your chair of, of what you're seeing in the midst of all this. Yes, so let me take that at two levels, at a very personal level. So I will go big picture in terms of my role and try to describe in a succinct way the waves of challenges. But um, this past week, I referenced this, and it's very special to me that my son has now entered the field of education. And so this past week was his first time teaching. Uh, and again, 10th graders, Algebra 2, imagine going into the field of education uh, with so much uncertainty. And I would share to Josh, as recent as this week or even before he even flew to Hawaii, to move to Hawaii, I said, I'll start praying for your students right now. Pray for your, you know, the children. Pray for your school. Pray for that island, right? Like, think, just be attentive. And um, this past week, on Friday, well, I'll just, I won't go overly get into the details, but unfortunately, we're starting to see COVID permeate schools again, right? We, a lot of our, our school system is going to start up next week, which is a different prayer request. But going back to my son, um, he's already seen COVID impact his, anywhere from his classroom to his school. And I can tell that my, my son, they're, they're having to make some adjustments and it's even impacting him and I can feel the burden that he has he even went as far as to say you know I did an assessment with my kids and a lot of them are really far behind in this idea of being away from them for a few days burdens him why that is so touching to me is he is developing a love for those who he is yeah. serving and around who are under his flock like that's the beginning of wherever we are is just can we experience a view and a heartfelt Christ love wherever we are? So that's very special to me to see my son starting to go through that. For me, you have to imagine March 2020 until now, 17 months of COVID, when we all thought we would be through this by now, we're not. And it's, this is a chronic pandemic that's impacting our world. So as a reminder, in March 2020, um, you know, public health hit all of us. And when I think of education, it's like a microcosm of society. No matter what we're feeling, 
be it globally, nationally, or statewide or locally, it has a way of hitting the front door or the classroom and schools. So we were dealing with a public health issue with a lot of uncertainty in question. And then we started to deal with what I would call equity issues. We saw children immediately who did not have access to technology, children and families who they depend on the consistency of food through the educational system, and I can go on. Then we were dealing with fiscal challenges, at least the signal of that. Schools were in California were um, informed that the state may have a 50-plus billion dollar deficit. Then we started to deal with racial justice issues. While one would think with each wave and challenge, you would hope one would go away and the next one would come, it was a compounding effect. And think about the issues with George Floyd or Breonna Taylor and the the dilemmas that were occurring up with educators. And then the social emotional aspects, I've never seen as much anxiety and depression and issues around children and families in a way that I have not experienced before. I am one who receives calls from our county sheriff when they're, if I'm dealing with a student death or suicide, we're, we're, we're seeing some things that we haven't experienced in the past, at least in my years of education. Um, and then this idea of re-entry, right? What do you mean masks, no masks, vaccinations, no ma vaccinations? And we're trying to lead in the midst of that. And then, of course, now we have the gift of public safety power shutoffs. What do you mean they're turning off the energy today? You know, so there's, these are the things that we as um, educational leaders and, and leaders are trying to navigate. And then how do you instill the kingdom values in the midst of that is a really big question. So last question. People sitting here, you know, different jobs, different careers, different spaces they inhabit. But let's mm -hmm. just take whatever vocation people have, yes. whatever their job might be. Let's suppose that after this service is over, someone marches up to you and says, well, Ed, I got a vision of your, your job, your career, the things that you're navigating and what the decisions you're trying to make. And then they tell you about you know, I work at Intel, or I work over at, the, I'm a teacher at this school, or I'm a paramedic, or I'm a fireman, or I'm a whatever. And they're coming to you and they're saying, how do I bring my faith into those spaces? How do I go into my job tomorrow yes, yeah. as someone who is a Christ follower, and I want that to make a difference in how I do my job. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that? So, um, with the, the backdrop of everything I just shared, right, like all of the challenges that we're facing, even internally we're facing that, before I even look to that individual, I would say, let's think about God, right? Like, so, God is a God of hope. He's a God of light. He's a God of... Um, encouragement and care, be it in suffering or in celebration, right? And allow that to flow through you in whatever context you're in. But you have to be anchored. That's why I think when I say anchored, I'm referring to attentiveness that comes through prayer or attentiveness that comes through being in the word, like in a real deep and meaningful way. I personally have all of a sudden gravitated in a way to the Gospels. And I'm referring to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Deanne and I are reading through the Gospels, attentive to how Jesus is interacting with others in a way that we just haven't 
before in these last few years. Because this time, there, there are needs all around us, and you can, you can miss them if you're not attentive to the word and prayer for those who are around you. So, you know, anchor, and I'm speaking to the individual in whatever setting you're in, right? If you're in a nursing facility and you're laying in your hospital bed, or if you're a little one going into preschool, or if you're a teacher, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Right now, the, the needs are all around us, and there is so much joy even in the challenges of being an instrument of the king right now. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you, Ed, for sharing. Those are great insights.